And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this Monday. It is September 13th, just a few weeks to go before we reach the postseason. On this episode, we'll discuss Max Scherzer's achievement, a 3,000 strikeout career and counting after a near-perfect game against the Padres on Sunday. That was on the heels of Corbin Burns and Josh Hader combining for a no-hitter in Cleveland over the weekend. So we will try and find the next Corbin Burns because, you know, this one's cool, but let's try and find the next one because that's a lot of fun. And we're going to get really angry about pulling the guy out of a no-hitter. We should get really mad about that. That's a different podcast. You're looking for a different podcast. I think you're looking for a podcast that doesn't normally talk about baseball that parachutes in to talk about baseball for two minutes and then goes back to talking about football. I think that's that's where you're going to find that take most commonly. Yeah, maybe maybe run by a Bayless. Yeah, some guy named Bayless. His brother's cool, though. I know. I see. I thought of his brother's name first. That's why I just did the last name because I forgot which one was which for a second. Rick Good, I, Skip Bad. That's right. Rick, We watched. Uh, I watched a ton of of uh of top chef back in the day and he was uh usually on the masters uh and uh looked like he made pretty good food oh yeah i would eat it i've never i don't think i've been at a restaurant of his though no a lot of chicago-based stuff um i've had the his frontera grill i think is the name of his restaurant he has a torta stand in o'hare oh that's right i have had that the torta is really good yeah Yeah. the torta was good it's a really good airport (laughs) sandwich i mean it's it's a sandwich okay here's how i would describe it it's a sandwich that i would go get anyway if it wasn't at the airport that's how good it is which is to me high praise yeah you don't don't usually find that there so check that out if you get stuck in terminal uh e maybe in o'hare i was was actually on my way to san francisco last time i had one so it was pretty great uh, I think the churros that he made last time I saw him on TV, those have inspired me. I'm going to make some pumpkin churros now that it's fall, even though it doesn't feel like mm, fall. Pumpkin everything, yay. Do you like pumpkins? I, I'm fine, but then it's in the beer, and it's in the coffee, and it's in the tea, and it's the, I mean, it's like, it's a bit much. It's a little bit of a takeover. Yeah, pumpkin bagels, pumpkin cream cheese, oh, pumpkin applesauce. No, stop. God, please. Pumpkin pulled pork. <laughs> Is that a real thing you just said? I could probably make a recipe for it. <laughs> you probably could do that. You know who'd make it? Our friend Jason Collette would make it. Uh, he, he loves everything pumpkin. He's probably already thrown some pumpkin spice into a pulled That's pork. That's true. Rim. I've seen him doing <laughs> doing some tweets about pumpkin beer. You know, because they, they there's this whole thing in beer where there's seasonal creep. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it used to be that the pumpkin beers came out in actual fall. Um, and now the Oktoberfest beers are out in July and, and the pumpkin beers are out in August. And 
So yeah, you got to be first. Sort of like releasing a print magazine for fantasy. You start off, you're like, well, we'd like to get all the signings and and you know stuff right before spring training, and we'll release it like when spring training begins. Then someone does it earlier, and then someone else does it earlier, and all of a sudden you're releasing your magazine before yeah before christmas <laughs> like, well let's be first let's be first and, you know, and it it's, a, it's actually annoying the industry trend in, of that versus the industry trend of signing players later has combined uh just to annoy me i've had some angry <laughs> januaries in years past as a result of print deadlines well, yeah. Yeah, print stuff is fun though it, it, it's it's old but it's fun i would actually uh-huh. say i'd rather do it than not do it if i had the choice which is a big commitment but Hey. There's something cool too about edification, like sort of putting your takes down in a place that, you know, it's like chiseling it in stone, kind of. <laughs> like, go back and look and be like, ooh, <laughs> yikes! You really liked Alan Webster, huh? Yeah, I mean, my memory is good for some of those, and I'm not shy about like bringing up. Oh yeah, I was totally wrong about that, but to have it all there to review is even better because you can find out how much worse you actually are <laughs> than you even thought. Uh, but let's get to some positive things. We've got uh, Max Scherzer hitting that 3,000 strikeout milestone on Sunday. Another great piece from Britt about Max on The Athletics, so be sure to check that out. It was nearly a perfect game against the Padres, too. Uh, Scherzer's the 19th pitcher to reach that career milestone. He's got career-best ratios for the season right now. You know, He's sitting with a 217 ERA and a .82 whip. He's never been better in those categories over a full season. It's a pe- contract year. <laughs> It's a contract year, and the dollars <laughs> doubt, just keep ticking up. I doubt that's it, but it could be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think that guy pitches like every single pitch could lead him to a new contract because he just wants to destroy everyone and everything all the time. How about a .88 ERA? That quote about that. There's a quote in that piece. I don't want to ruin it because it's it's a reason enough to pay for the athletic. I feel like to read this quote about how competitive Max Scherzer is. But I will tell you, uh, I'm scared talking to him sometimes. I think everybody's a little scared to talk to him. <laughs> I, I, I was actually, yeah, I can't actually tell the story, but uh, yeah, he, I, I was pretty sure he was staring at me across the field one time, and it turned out he was. <laughs> <laughs> I think you told part of that story. Yeah, I can't tell the whole part of that story, but it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I went up to, I went up to another rider and was like, "Is, is Max?" Is he staring at me for a moment? Yeah. And his response was, it's Max Scherzer. He always looks like that. Speaking of pumpkins, if I if I carve a pumpkin this year, maybe I can make a Max Scherzer pumpkin. Like different colored candles. Two eyes. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. I think yeah, I'm going to pull with, that with off. LED, with the power of LED, you might be able to pull it off. <sighs> I was looking. Uh, Max Scherzer kind of found himself in like around 2013, 2014. So uh, I just did a search over that time. Um, and he leads he leads the league in, in war since uh, 2013 started uh, 51 to in Fangraphs war to Kershaw's 45 46. Um, but uh, it's just sort of amazing to me that he's had this he has so much more volume because Kershaw and Degrom and Sale are the next three, and he has uh, like 250 more innings pitched than Kershaw over that time frame, and like 500 more innings than Degrom. And 400 more than sale. So he's uh, really excellent and been excellent in bulk. A 280 ERA since 2013 started 137 wins. I mean, this is what a, a, a Hall of Famer looks like. 
Yeah, absolutely. A, a no-brainer in, in that regard. At a .88 ERA, a .67 whip, a 37.7% K rate, just a 2.6% walk rate since joining the Dodgers. He actually has accrued more Fangraphs war with the Dodgers this season than he did with the Nats, even though he's pitched twice as many innings in D.C. than he has in L.A. so far. God, what a big game pitcher. Yeah, this is sort of like the... The, the only other acquisition, I mean, there's been plenty of, of big pitchers that have moved over the last 15, 20 years, but this is similar, I think, to the impact that CC Sabathia had on the Brewers just in terms of how amazingly good Scherzer has been. Uh, I think when you look at Scherzer as a free agent this offseason, yikes. I mean, for a pitcher his age, might get a, a slightly longer deal than you'd expect. He's at least going to get a massive AAV because he's showing no signs at all of slowing down. And Al asked me on Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, he said, is Scherzer going to maybe be the first pitcher off the board in some 2022 drafts? My lean was no, only because of age. My answer was that we sort of discriminate against older players in our game, and even if he has on paper everything you'd want from someone you would take as the first pitcher off the board, they'll look at the age column and say, yeah, I got to wait a little longer. I'm going to put a couple guys ahead of Scherzer. He'll be top five, but he won't be number one among pitchers going into next season. There is that whole deal of like you're you're not injury prone until you are. Like when I, I I've seen players that are like 600. We've talked about this before here, where it's like you see players five straight seasons of 600 plate appearances or 650 plate appearances. This guy is rock solid, right? And that's what sort of what you look like when you look at Max Scherzer's lines, like all these 200s, right? 220, and just it, it looks like he's like super health dude. Uh, but you can see that he's kind of you know, falling back. 2019 was 172 innings. Uh, he's had some stints for, uh, you know, the back. Uh, this year, he'll probably end up at like 170 innings again. Um, so it might be fair to project him for 170 innings next year, uh, which will take some of the value off of, you know, him compared to a uh, Garrett Cole projection, which will probably have, you know, 180, 190, 200 in it. Um, so I think that'll be the source of the sort of projected difference between the two of them, because maybe by inning, uh, you would say that they were right neck and neck and maybe you take Scherzer over Cole by inning. Yeah. I mean, I have no hesitation in taking him in the first two rounds again, if, I mean, it's going to cost something early on first 25 picks or so for sure. I, I can't see him falling any further than that, regardless of where he goes. It's not going to go to a bad team. I think he'll be a first rounder, but it, it's it's a little bit of an iffy first rounder for me, just because of uh, just the, the injury risk at a thirty-seven year old with all these endings. I just I think the injury risk is there. Think about Verlander, right? That's exactly the the comp Verlander because Verlander was, finally crept up a little higher, and it happened to be the year that he broke. Yeah, and Verlander seemed like a guy who would never get injured, and then and then he did. Um, and, but he had, he had the same kind of deal where he had a couple seasons where he had some injuries, he had a surgery, he had a core surgery, you know, like he had, had some stuff, but he also seemed like he would, he would age really well. And then he had that Tommy John. So, uh, I think he'll be a first rounder. I don't think he, I'll have a lot of shares. I do think by on a per inning basis, he deserves to be a first rounder. Um, but I also think that the top of pitching is the top of the pitching and the, the first round of hitting are, are seem more volatile and uncertain to me than they have in the past. It's 
because of a, a mess of injuries, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, Tatis's shoulder, Acuna's ACL. Yeah. You know, those two things plus DeGrom's uncertain health. Exactly. Like, uh, Mookie Betts coming off of a, an injured injury yeah. impacted season. I think he's still a first rounder, as I've said, I think on the, the fantasy baseball pod. Back but end. yeah, he'll still be in the top 10 of most leagues, but but then there you're going to have some gun-shy owners at the back end of the first round, too, where they're like, well, didn't we just play this game with Christian Yelich and, and Cody Bellinger? You know, rock-solid uh, mid-career veteran coming back off of injury years. Isn't that gonna, is, are we going to play that game again? So there'll be some that might not take him. I will take Mookie because I don't think that his injury is as disastrous uh, for him. Although, is it a similar injury to Christian Yelich? It's a back thing, right? Yeah, back I think, and hip. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's lower for him. Okay. I just, again, I, I'm not treating these players, so I don't know. <laughs> but but anyway, like I, I, I uh, Scherzer ahead of DeGrom for me because DeGrom, the injury risk is catastrophic. I mean, it's, it's through the roof. Right. If you're saying 170 for Scherzer, are you going much higher than 140 or 150 with what you know right now about DeGrom? No. So he could slide out of the first round pretty easily. It could end up being maybe ooh, uh, back of the top 30 sort of pick. Yeah, and the, this whole idea that, that the GM was saying, that Alderson was saying, like, <clears throat> he had a tear and it fixed itself. That's how these things go. And I'm like, mm, I think that uh, you're not being quite as upfront about what sort of ongoing risk there is for future injury in this situation mm -hmm. because the way i've heard it uh, with regards to masahiro tanaka and kenta maeda was that they were basically pitching with a small tear but you know like that didn't sound like oh it just fixed itself right like did you ever hear that language about maeda or tanaka's uh, uh, uh remember they were both pitching with like a slight tear of the ucl right it was, it's healed and it's no longer a problem. Maeda's fine now or Tanaka's fine now. I don't, I don't, I don't, I never heard that language about it. I, I'd rather be more precise and, and maybe we can get like an injury expert on here sometime to talk about these sort of things. But mm. um, I'd be surprised if, what I'm saying is, I'd be surprised if it's all just in the rearview mirror for DeGrom. You know, it's like, hey, don't worry about it. It's fixed now. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if it is, but I yeah. have a lot of doubts. Just in the organization, certainly doesn't help. We've said that time yeah. and time again. And then there's a lock, lock solid finding that nothing predict, predicts uh, future injury as much as current injury. Yeah, that's that's just been shown numbers wise. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
So if you're not going to take Scherzer first off the board, you're probably thinking about Garrett Cole or Walker Bueller or maybe even Corbin Burns. I believe I saw on the top of Dynasty Pitcher Rankings, I want to say it was an Eric Cross tweet. I'm sorry if I'm confusing people on Twitter. It was very late last night when I saw this. Uh, it, I just smiled because I saw Cor- Corbin Burns at the top of a list. That's that's the whole story. <laughs> that's enough to make you smile. <laughs> and then I just ran away. And I'm like, somebody's got him number one in Dynasty. And I threw the phone that's down. That's good enough said, for me. <laughs> I will go to sleep happy today. But um, Corbin Burns combined with Josh Hader for a no-hitter against Cleveland over the weekend. And I, it was obviously the right call to not let him finish it out. This is a team that wants to win the World Series. They need Corbin Burns healthy to do that. So if you're angry at Craig Council today, I'm really sorry. I, I can't help you. I'm not going to take your side on this one. I I think what's really fun here is we've talked about the transformation of Burns, right? You go back a couple seasons ago, uh, ERA and whip off the charts bad, a four-seamer that was just brutal. You could say similar things about Lucas Giolito a few years ago, too. And with Burns, we know the pitch mix changed a lot. The cutter has been huge for him. It's a really deep arsenal. He commands everything really well. Giolito is kind of a different path, actually. Like You might remember them more similarly in your head just because of how bad they were and how good they became. But I look back, 2018 Giolito was a couple of ticks below his current velo, really wasn't striking many guys out. It wasn't like the guy that missed a ton of bats that had bad ratios. It was just a bad pitcher. He walked too many guys. He didn't strike a lot of guys out. He had four pitches at that time, and now he leans more he heavily like on three. He lost the ride on his four seam. He lost the drop on his on his curveball and slider. He, he just lost the pitch. what made those pitches good. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's the hardest type like if we were sitting here to have a segment like finding the next giolito i think that would be the hardest because he came back with different pitches Mm -hmm. you know and was like this is what you saw as a prospect and we're all like oh yeah this is what we saw as a prospect this pitch has ride now and this pitch has dropped now and i don't know why it didn't you know last year you were something's wrong with your mechanics that's going to be super hard for us to ever predict right (laughs) because i'm going to predict this guy is going to be a totally different pitcher next year <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with different pitches. I think, but I think the Corbin Burns one is a little bit easier because for two reasons. And, and this actually, somebody came up, somebody was asking me about this on Twitter. I thought it was an interesting uh, question. I, I, I wish I had the, the handle in front of me, but um, shout out to whoever asked this question. He said, uh, you said that the, that his home run rate uh, was statistical noise. Corbin Burns' home run rate that year, right? It was the outlier. It was obvious. We know uh, from research that stuff like home runs allowed and power allowed is the noisiest sort of set of statistics for a hitter or for a pitcher, right? So we're, you can, you can, you, you can, you, you're coming from a good statistical uh, standpoint if you say uh, Corbin Burns would have been better in 2019 just because you know of statistics, you know, <laughs> like his home run rate would have regressed. But the the person said, well, is that right? Because he had to change his whole pitch mix to get the better home run rate. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, he changed his true talent. It's almost like the Giolito example. It's closer to the Giolito example. But in some ways, like, you have to look back even the year before that, too. A .95 home run rate in 38 innings in 2018. Sample is almost right. the same as the 49 innings but he threw in 2019. But that's an argument for statistical regression. There's the, the, I think what's happening is both things are happening, yeah. right? And and so it's really hard to pinpoint. Some of it is statistical regression where it's just like his home run rate wasn't going to be that bad again. And so that came back. But then he also changed his true town a little bit. 
And that's what's really hard about evaluating talent, I think, is sometimes they're making changes that actually change their true talent. And right. then they're also oscillating around that true talent in terms of having good weeks and bad weeks and, and good years and bad years around that. Um, I was just looking at Eric Hosmer's Woba chart, and it is a wild ride. What have brought you, you there? Have you realized? Well, <laughs> I, was, I was workshopping this tweet that I ultimately decided it was too mean. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, the uh, Padres playoff chances. Um, and then the next picture was uh, that guy, uh, Steve Sachs, taking his pants off okay. uh, in front of everybody. And then the third picture was uh, Eric Hosmer's seasonal woba. So instead of tweeting that, you just described the tweet on the podcast. Described it. Well, here, uh, here it won't be as mean. I guess we're all friends here, and we know that uh, Eno's intent was not to be mean; it was to be funny, and that <laughs> he, ultimately he decided it was too mean. So uh, anyway, he goes up and down like a crazy man. Uh, it's kind of Hosmer has really good seasons and really bad seasons; he just alternates them. So I guess uh, draft Eric Hosmer next year. Anyway, um, no, no, he's saying no. <laughs> Important to have YouTube. the YouTube going. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we can try to find uh, a, a Corbin Burns. The The trick, though, is we can do something like sort by uh, worst ERAs and look for good strikeout minus walk rates. That's the sort of statistical way in, right? That's the, like, you know, Corbin Burns regress statistically, and, and, and that's why he's better. But then what we'll be sort of uh, taking a leap of faith on is which one of these players will also make the uh, make the, the pitch mix change or the, the the strategy change or improve a pitch that they have and actually take that leap. Because there are going to be people on this list who have a five ERA right now and a good strikeout minus walk rate that don't conquer their home run issues and end up in the pen. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just that's going to happen for some of these pitchers. So there is a leap of faith uh, where we're going to take a leap of faith. So we can give you some names. We're, you you had you had a name that jumped off this list for you, which is becoming uh, uh, one of your your guys. It seems like early on. Yeah, Logan Gilbert is probably the the young exciting pitcher that I would look at and say, hmm. Everything's sort of in place here. And, you know, you're looking at a Sierra at 373 with an ERA at 510. That's the other way. You can look at a Sierra leaderboard. Just look at Sierra versus ERA differences. Mm. With Gilbert, we've talked about it. It's a deep enough arsenal where he has a few ways to get hitters out. He's missing plenty of bats. He's not walking guys. Like, the core skills are all very good. The home Mm. run rate's a tick high right now. 1.32 1.32 homers per Strand nine. Strand rate is low. Yeah, not not in Burns territory, but a 65.8% LOB percentage. I mean, that's that's actually really low. So yeah, 70. The major league average is like 71 or 72. So he kind of does everything we want a young pitcher to do. And I mentioned a few weeks ago, I thought his ADP was going to track into the 75 to 100 range overall. I don't have the exact date that I made that statement on the podcast. <laughs> I do know for a fact that Logan Gilbert has been hit several times since I made that statement. So it's going to uh, probably be wrong. Five one ERA right now. I, I think he'll be a great, uh, I think he'll, he's just dropping and he'll be great. Yeah, here's this here. So I think I said it sometime around August 10th. So it's six starts now for Logan Gilbert. Since I said that he's got a 27 to three strikeout to walk ratio in 28 innings. That's pretty nice. good. 28 yeah. innings and six starts. Isn't very good. Uh, but a 739 ERA during that span. Ooh, 
Sexy time. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good for me. As someone who believes in Logan Gilbert, <laughs> he needs to get knocked around a few more times before the end of the season. I, and, for, you know, one of the names that, that pops on this is uh, I. what I did was just sort by ERA and put K minus BB on the end. So as I'm going down in ERA, I can see uh, a lot of terrible strikeout minus walk rates, people that uh, deserve their fate. Uh, Chichi Gonzalez, uh, Carlos Martinez. Sorry, I had to, you know, those are that, those are really low K minus BBs. They probably deserve some of their ERA. Do you prefer uh, Andrew mean, Haney? Mean Eno or Mina? Yeah, <laughs> Mino. How about Andrew Meany? Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, wanted to mention Heaney as uh, just an interesting case where here's a guy who's been doing this to us for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like for years we've looked at the strikeout minus walk rates, and for years we've said, "Man, he should be better than this." And for years uh, he's given up a lot of homers. So um, he's, I guess, the cautionary tale. And uh, then you know, here's the name: Brew Baker shows up on this list. Um, I I thought he was he had a really great early season. I thought he showed kind of what he could be. Uh, then he kind of fell off and gave up a ton of homers. Has given up two homers per nine this year. He, I think he's still interesting, but I, I, I think he's going to be like back end top 100 or like maybe like 120 for me in pitchers next year, 110 to 120, as in kind of like a good NL only play, deep league play. But I don't think he's going to make my top 75. I, I, I just think he doesn't quite have the stuff. He has some okay command. He has a large arsenal, but I think he's, uh, he's missing, uh, just a little bit of bite, a little bit of ride. I think there's. It could be it's he's he's a he's a location play, you know, and I just think that that can be iffy. Yeah, I think the Heaney one. I mean, there's a similar picture to Heaney on this list for me. Eduardo Rodriguez. Like I keep waiting and waiting and waiting for Eduardo Rodriguez to have the year that he's good. He's probably over the life of this podcast, which now spans almost three seasons. Eduardo Rodriguez might be our most discussed pitcher. I think <laughs> and I think Mitch Keller has been the most asked about pitcher. And we've even like not answered questions about Mitch Keller on a few occasions and answered a lot of them. And I still keep coming back to Keller as a just a general disappointment. But Erod This is this is Erod's best year for K minus BB. Yeah. Erod looks really good in the underlying numbers right now. And I think he just needs a change of scenery. He's a free agent at the end of the season. Probably not a guy that's going to cash in in a big way with a huge multi-year deal, but you think about all the pitching needy teams out there that might want to take a chance on him at a relative discount. Absolutely would love to see him go somewhere that's a little more pitcher-friendly for a lefty because I think that could go a long way. End up in San Diego or something. San Francisco is going to be looking probably to spend a little bit on on starting rotation. I mean, yeah, that would be a big change. Um, the name that I like, and this is a little bit, uh, faith casting, uh, well, I, I got two names on here. I'm going to claim two. you, you can take somebody else. Um, I'm taking Adbert Alzale and Chris Paddock off this list. Um, I just think they have good foundations. They have out pitches. They have enough command. They have enough velocity and they have enough other pitches that they've thrown in their career that there's a path forward. You know what I mean? Like for me, Paddock going back to the cutter uh, could be it. Um, or uh, or even doing a Kevin Gossman where he uh, just lives above the zone. 
He just lives above the plate and lives north-south and throws his changeup 50% of the time, you know? Paddock has a couple ways out, I think. Alzale, he has a really good slider fastball. The slider fastball combo is pretty good and is good enough to get him a lot of strikeouts. I think he just needs to improve the cutter or the change. Um, and I think those are there for him, possibly. Um, so the, those two pitchers uh, will be on some of my rosters next year. Getting that third pitch working for Paddock has been a common refrain for him really since even when things were going well when he entered the league. I think people said, for this to work forever, he needs that third pitch. I think the hardest thing to figure out from afar, it's probably easier if you're around a team, you get to ask a lot of questions, you get to see what guys are working on. How can you tell how willing a pitcher is to change? Like Some of it's an individual's willingness to change. Some of it's the organization and the game plan they give. Uh, but a lot of this can be on the individual yeah. player to go out and take the time to do some sort of off-season work with that pitch development to actually get to the point where they're going to throw a new pitch reliably in game situations when the next season rolls around. It's it, there's a word for it. I mean, it's makeup, right? And it is the in, most impossible thing to scout. And that's why, you know, that's why they'll ask writers before a trade, you know, like, you know, what 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 do you think of this player, you know? That's why uh, scouts are you know going to be are always going to be important because they're trying to judge makeup. It's also super problematic because judging makeup comes from sort of a like does your culture line up with mine and i don't i don't mean that in just raw like you know latin american versus i mean like your culture that's also your work ethic how you express your work ethic um how you know are you know, there are guys that will just say yes yes boss and not care right and and then there'll be people that seem like they care too much and they're and they're and they're tinkering or they're angry or they're not coachable, quote unquote. But then they're at Max Scherzer all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Because he's he's angry and he's you know, and maybe maybe he probably told a pitching coach they didn't know what they were talking about at some point in his career. I bet you Max Scherzer said that <laughs> to a pitching coach, you know, before. But is he co- coachable? Hell yeah. Did you hear in his thing um afterwards, after the game, he said uh he thanked all the coaches um because adding pitches uh to his arsenal and that's something he's told he's told me plenty of times adding pitches to his arsenal was so important that you know they really did, did a lot of the work um and so that's I, I and i don't have an answer for you the one thing i would say statistically is i always find it interesting i find it interesting if they try if you see it you know what i mean Flashes, i find it yeah. interesting that paddock threw a cutter a little bit I find it interesting that he's been working really hard on that curveball, and you can see the curveball improve over time. I find it interesting that Albert Alzale has a cutter, uh, has been kind of de-emphasizing the change, and there's been this cutter that's kind of snuck out, um, you know, in the in the past few starts. Those things are interesting because they say those are kind of little markers, right? Little flashing markers of like, hey, this guy is trying something, like uh, Tariq Skubal, like. You know, what? Did I mess up his name? No, I mean, it, it, Tarek Skubal, but Skubal. that's not Tarek, why I was Tarek I was Skubal. chuckling. You, it was a good transition. Keep going. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if you're looking for a sign that uh, he is coachable or has that good makeup or is striving to make the most out of what he's got, um, you can just look at his pitch mix this year and see, oh, wow, he turfed the sinker uh, and he turfed the split finger, uh, added the sinker back in. 
uh, he's trying uh, everything he's got, and it's it's a little different than um, someone who you know whose pitch mix is pitch mix is remarkably unchanged through a, a through a through some struggles. You know. Yeah, we had a question about Tarek Skubal from Nathan, and he just asked, "How should we think about Tarek Skubal? He's consistently." Gotten K's all year, and some of his peripherals seem pretty good, like K percentage in Sierra, while others seem alarming. He points to the barrel percentage and hard hit percentage, which definitely are a concern. And the suggestion was maybe it's a function of pitching up in the zone. I want to like him, but should I? And I think you still should like Tarek Skubal because of the reasons Eno's mentioning. This is not a guy who's just sitting there doing the same thing over and over again and getting the horrible home run rate result. I mean, 31 homers this season in like 130 innings is brutal. Clearly something has to change. But we just talked about a guy who has played his way into top pitcher on the board consideration, might win a Cy Young this year, who had a problem with a bad fastball, came back with a cutter, and obviously made a couple other changes too. But it's not like Scooble is without other weapons. I think he's got two good secondaries already between the slider and the changeup. So if he can fix the fastball problem, it could go a really long way toward changing what his 2022 looks like. Yeah, nice soft landing, too, in Detroit with that park. It's always going to help a little bit. Uh, surprising it hasn't helped <laughs> so far on the home run rate. Uh, I, yeah, and I see, I see uh, you know, in Scuba, like, I think there's a little bit of an allegory for what's happening around the league and w- what um, we will see more of, which is people going back to the sinker because... There was, I think, this idea, and I think to some extent I was right. So Anthony Scafani, um, uh, who's his, um, who was his pitching coach in uh, in Cincinnati? He's really good. Uh, uh, it was, I mean, Brian Price was the manager. So you no, talk about Doug, then, Derek Johnson? Yeah, Derek Johnson. Uh, Derek Johnson kind of pointed out to Scafani, like, hey, you don't have a really good four seamer, but no matter what, four seamers get more whiffs high in the zone. Right. So there was just this like, hey, just pitch higher, you know, uh, philosophy that came around. And it's it's true to some extent. But I think Scooble's four seamer is not good. And I think if you do the high four seam approach, you should do it rarer. It should be like a secondary pitch. It should be like a low slider, you know, like a thing you've set someone up for. Um, and that you're you're going to in situations and you're trying to stay high, higher, highest because Scooble, you you pointed this out to me, his his fastball heat map has a lot of Broad Street on it. Mm-hmm. You know? And so what my hope would be, if if this works out for him, my hope would be that moving to the sinker allows him to stay out of that broad street, use the four seamer less. You know, and he doesn't have to do a full thing where he comes back with a whole new fastball. He kind of did that already with the sinker. So what I'm hoping is he emphasizes the sinker more and comes back, throws the slider in some counts sometimes to get strikes, throws the sinker, and uses the four-seamer more as a situational whiffs only high up in the zone kind of pitch. Um, And that would be the best way forward for him. He could do a lot of what he's doing now with a 1.2 homers per nine next year and that would be partially statistical regression <laughs> a little and bit partially uh changes happening in front of us yeah kind of going back to you're saying earlier you know if, if burns or if scooble we'll use him as the current example if you if you gave scooble 139 more innings and said do the same stuff he did this time most likely he wouldn't give up 31 home runs again he'd give up 
25 or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a, a better baseline than that. So, you know, keep, keep that in mind here as you're looking at a guy that could improve in both facets. You could get that rapid increase. The Ks are there, I mean, because the velo is good and the secondaries are good. And I almost wonder if there's also some deception in the delivery to Scooble where hitters just don't see him very well because he's piled up Ks everywhere. We talked about him in 2019, 179 Ks and 122 in two-thirds innings uh, between high A and double A, just an alarming strikeout rate. And so far, it, that part of his game has translated about as well as you can expect. And I just think the fact that he's not sitting idly by is really encouraging. I also wonder what you think about you know, Chris Fetter as the pitching coach in Detroit. You look at Casey Mize. It's getting good results, but he's not missing a lot of bats. Like, Is this an organization we trust to continue making the right adjustments to these young pitchers? They've got Mize with good results. they got Matt Manning, I think, in a pretty rough spot right now. Fixing Matt Manning looks like it might be a little more complicated than we would have thought just even a year ago. But I think generally the amount of change that we've seen Mize and Scooble undergo at the major league level speaks well of Fetter's abilities. Um, so I think uh, I think we're and and hopefully it's not just like a cookie cutter. You know that was one complaint I've heard from pitchers in the past, which is like I hate pitching coaches; they only have one idea. Um, there were definitely, uh, old school pitching coaches that just had one idea, like throw the cutter more, throw the sinker more, you know? Um, and I, th- I think the work with Mize and Scooble has been different enough, um, that I could say, Hey, I think, uh, you know, like, cause kind of, Mize actually kind of improved his four seam and went away from the sinker. Right. Yeah. And I think Mize, the, the strange thing about him is like, he's not throwing his best pitch as much as we expected him to. The, is that the? I would guess the split finger. I'm not looking. Yeah, at the, right the now. splitter is, I believe, by far like his best pitch from a scouting perspective. I haven't looked at the actual results on it recently, but that was one of the puzzling things about him when I last looked at him. Is like, oh, he's not not leaning on that pitch nearly as much as I would have thought. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I I I I think. I think he's good. I think that uh, if you had three, even really quality. Uh, high as people, I don't think realize this that if you had three really high quality, three top 30 prospect starting pitchers like they had, right? Um, uh, you would expect, uh, you'd expect one to work out really well, uh, one to maybe uh, be a back end starter and one to be a reliever. So, uh, like we, we can't just say, oh, he didn't fix Matt Manning too. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, with Mize, I think, uh, there's a little bit of a command issue. I think the stuff is there. So I'm, I'm betting on Mize next year. I think he'll be, I think he'll be better next year. Uh, he has, he has, uh, by, by the stuff model, he has three above average pitches by stuff. It just doesn't have any that are above average by location, you know? So I think he could really take another step forward with, uh, and, and it might not be that surprising, right? Like he just changed his pitch mix a lot. Maybe he's just not as comfortable with his new pitch mix in terms of the locations he needs to put these pitches. He could take a real step forward the second year. Uh, um, and, the, and the model, uh, for what it's worth about Scooble, it says, you know, it's not really impressed with the stuff. However, a lot of that is the four-seam, like the four-seam, which does not have good ride uh, and does not have good wiggle. Um, and is only average velocity right now. 94 is average velocity. So uh, the four-seam is not good. If he throws that four-seam less, his stuff number will go up. So 
I think I think in Scooble and Mize, I see enough that uh, I will I, I will have them in my top seventy five probably, or at least top top eighty, top ninety. They will definitely be on top one hundred, and they will be on my teams. Yeah, I, I could see both in my top seventy five. I had to guess how that list is going to shape up. Maybe maybe, maybe one back end kind of yeah, mm-hmm. but but. But those are really interesting pitchers. I love the pitchers that I rank uh, from like seventy to eighty. I love those pitchers because they they're they they're so cheap. Um, and by me putting them there, I've seen something that like I think will take off. I think that my teams are littered with with guys from that from that that ranking every year. And since they didn't cost anything in on draft day, um, they're uh, you know expendable in terms of your roster and. Um, uh, you know, you don't have to stick around too long to find out. Yeah, you can be a little patient with them to bench them a little bit, you know, kind of wait and see what happens through the first couple of weeks of the season if things aren't going well initially, too, at that price. Uh, thanks a lot for that question about Tarek Skubal, Nathan. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A couple more questions to get to on this episode. We got one from Russell, and he's a question about defensive metrics. If he was going to put one defensive stat on his Fangraphs dashboard as a shorthand for this guy plays good or bad defense, what would that be? Uh, I don't think you can do it on Fangraphs. Uh, I think my favorite stat is outs above average. Um, I just the the fact that it comes with starting position. Uh, for the fielders, I think puts it way ahead of every other metric. And I know there's been some disagreement about uh, how these things have tested, and you know, uh, has outs above average been better for outfielders or infielders? Uh, I don't know, man. I just think if you're starting with better data to begin with, uh, and I can't, I can't really see an argument that uh, you're going to get better results without starting position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like it's always going to be better if you know where the fielder started. 
because you're able to separate more things out. What was the first step? What was this? What was positioning? What was the coaching? You know what I mean? If you don't have where the where the fielder started, you're just guessing on half the stuff. Yeah, I think outs above average is where I look first. And then I never look at that and go, oh, that means he's a great defender. That means he's a terrible defender. But it's a really good start into that conversation. If you look at the leaderboard right now, outs above average across all positions. Nick Ahmed, yeah, great defender at shortstop. Nicky Lopez, Francisco Lindor, Matt Chapman. I mean, it's platinum glove winning third baseman right there. Michael Taylor, Angelton Simmons, Harrison Bader. Like That seems dead on across the board. Ryan McMahon does well there. I was thinking about defensive run saves maybe as a, a possible uh, dashboard option. I'm just trying to remember if you can actually put that onto your dashboard. You can put almost everything on a Fangraphs dashboard they have. DRS should be, uh, because it's, it's one of their stats, you could put DRS on. There's defensive value, uh, which is uh, basically the defensive component of war. Um, and that is kind of cool because it's all encompassing and includes framing. So guess who's the top four? I, Sean Murphy, Real Muto, Omar Narvaez, and Jacob Stallings are the top four fielders in baseball, according to that metric. I don't, I don't know about the sniff test on this one. Well, I don't think there's anything. The second part of the question was about whether any of these metrics are indexed like WRC+. Plus. Or, you know, if they just count. Like, like defensive run saves is just a straight count. You're, you're either positive or negative. They're almost all... Outs above average is a bit of a, a component of average in there, right? Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's just it's just a straight, like, this is this is it. This is the value. How about the rest of it? Let's do non-catchers. Michael A. Taylor, Trevor Story, Nicky Lopez, Matt Chapman, Miguel Rojas, Kevin Newman. Ryan McMahon's pretty high up in there, too. Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, yeah, it, it's wait. That's DRS or what? I'm I'm doing defensive value. Oh yeah, I was on defensive value. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, okay. Really, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing that. Are you you doing? You're not doing qualified. You do less. I am on zero for minimum plate appearances. Okay. Um, that's probably cutting it too thin. You gotta go like a hundred. Okay. Yeah, I, I did two hundred, and I and now Bader is sneaking on. But tons of catchers. I don't know. It's uh, it's tough for me to say that Omar Narvaez has more defensive value than uh, Trevor Story or Matt Chapman. I mean, I, I think it's more just a flag of will this guy get a lot of playing time if he's not hitting? Will this guy lose playing time if he's not hitting? I think that's more or less what we're trying to, to have. And I think defensive value does that. I think that's probably then then if that's the game then I think actually defensive value does it better than anything else, right? Cuz these guys are all playing and they're playing partially because of their defensive value. Like Jacob Stallings is playing because of his defensive value. And if you were worried, you know, that some other part of his profile was crappy and you saw that he was good at defensive value, the problem is it's also just accounting stats, so you have to look over and you have to know 15 is good. Right. Mm-hmm. But oh, I have a, I do have one way uh, that this might uh, become more intuitive. That's the defensive value of war. Right. So if you if you divide it by 10, that's how many wins they get just off of defense. So wow. that that can actually make it more intuitive. Right. So now I'm looking at Sean Murphy and it says his defensive value is 19.4. That means he's getting two wins off of defense. He's going to stay in. Right. They're going to play him. 
And I think it's also good because if you look at Miles Straw, it says, okay, three DRS. What the hell does that mean? I don't know what that means. If I just have a three over there uh, in the DRS column next to all these offensive stats, like that wouldn't be meaningful to me. However, 8.2 defensive value means he's worth a win um, basically on defense. That will make me look past whatever WRC plus. It's something I'm struggling with because, you know, Alex Chamberlain's talking about Miles Straw and he's like, this is a win for people. Miles Straw is a win. Um, and I think he pointed out Nicky Lopez and some other, and, uh, you know, some part of me is like, ew, why are you touting these terrible hitters? You know? Um, and I have to find some sort of good process uh, to, to behind this to, to find these guys. And so uh, I think, yes, defensive value is a way to find the Miles Straws of the world. Um, and probably the difference between Miles Straw and Oscar Mercado has a good deal to do with defense. Maybe. Yeah, Straw grades out as a good defender. I think he was on the first page of the leaderboard. And Mercado was already starting to play left and right when he came up at times, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, defensive value could be good. I think maybe just right throwing it's DEF in in the as a as a stat in in on Fangraphs. You could throw that up on your dashboard and and have like one sort of number to look at. Just remember, divide by ten, and that's how many wins. Yeah, thanks a lot for that question, Russell. I mean, it, it matters because playing time can be lost or gained as a result of being a, a good or bad defender. Uh, one more question here to get to from David. He writes, did Eno yell Bach during Jake Cousins' motion with the rest of the Oracle Park crowd at the Tuesday of Brewers-Giants game? No way DVR did. That leads to my question. Is there anything to a funky motion, not really an arm slot that contributes to a pitcher's stuff, and how do y'all feel about box in general? So we'll take the first part of that question. Is there anything to a funky motion that contributes to a pitcher's stuff? Oh, 100%. I mean, Joe Ryan does not look that good in the pitching plus model, I'll tell you that. Um, uh, but uh, he, one of the things he does is he leads with the elbow. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Yusmero Petit does this. So when the ball's coming out, basically the pitcher, the hitter sees elbow and then it pops up at the last minute. That's how he releases the ball. So he comes out elbow pointed and, and forearm back and then, the, and then he pops up. And that means that they can't pick up the release point. What you know, I, I, that that's why I have used Mero Petit as a note of caution for Joe Ryan, which is that Joe Ryan is doing excellent his first run through. I think as people start to pick up that release point, he may not have as much success. And so he may end up as a kind of use Mero Petit because I think when you have a lot of funk like that, you're more likely to end up as a reliever because people will, by the third time, they if they pick up on that, whatever funk you have and can see through it or, or, or just start to understand it. Or, Oh, I can't look at the elbow. I have to look at the spot and it'll just show up in the spot. And I know where to look now. Once you start doing that, you can hit them. And so you use Petit's third time through the order penalties are off the charts because this stuff is kind of mediocre. But the first time you see it, you're like, Oh God damn that elbow thing again. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and then the, the more times you see it, the more times you'd be better. The, the people who face you Petit the most have had the most success against him. Um, and I know that's batter versus pitcher data, so I'm not I'm not basing my whole argument on that. But I'm just saying it makes sense to me that you could have funk that would be better in one or two plate appearances that might go away. The funk the funk factor <laughs> would go away in the third or fourth appearance against the against the pitcher uh, in the same game. So. 
I it is hard to I've seen various approaches. One approach that was pretty cool um, was somebody that was working within one of these independent labs um, was able to uh, put a number on how uh, how long you could see the ball from home 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 plate um, before it was released. So it's basically like how many contigu- contiguous seconds from you could see the white of the ball before it was released. Um, and he was using that as a deception uh, number, which I thought was pretty interesting. If I had the capabilities to do that, I would I would study that um, because I do think there's something to that. Some guys, you know, hide the ball all the way up like they pick it up behind their body. You know, um, you know, that's Giolito started doing that. Um, and then there's other guys who just showed the ball. There's a guy, Nate Jones or something. He's got the most ridiculous delivery. It, the, he just takes the ball up and you can see the ball the whole way. It only works because he throws like 99. Yeah. And it moves a ton when he throws sliders too. Yeah. But, but it is weird. He's showing the ball the whole time. Um, so anyway, yeah, I do think funk matters. Uh, I think it's a little bit more, uh, of a a reliever skill. Uh, because I think it, it its value goes away over time, and then you have to rely on actually having some stuff. You know who actually had a pretty nice career, even though it was a pretty short career, it was Josh Colmenter, and he was like straight over the top. I remember reading yeah. a story about him when he broke in with the D-backs in 2011, and he had this axe-throwing background. Mm-hmm. Like before, <laughs> yeah. it was like a cool bar game, like actually throwing axes. And then he threw his he threw his he threw his pitches like axes. Yeah, I mean, it was like as over the top as any pitcher I think I've ever seen. And 338 ERA, 107 whip the first year. He had a sub four ERA every single year until his last year in the big leagues. And but the, there's there's a lot to that. There's a, there's a couple, like one thing that was really cool was he he threw from such an over the top thing that his curveball had change up movement. Hmm. He had what 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 you call a reverse curveball basically. Just like so it drop. almost had almost looked like a screwball, right? Because mm-hmm. it was a curveball coming from a righty, but it, he's righty, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's so extreme over the top that it's like a curveball coming from a lefty. Like extreme uh, over pronation. Yeah. And uh, so that was interesting. He also, though, um, I think had a fair amount of injury and also uh, ended up in the uh, in the pen and like in between being kind of a, a three. I think in today's game, if he came up, he'd be somebody's three inning guy. Oh, he'd be the race, like he'd be on the Jalen Beeks type. Yeah, he'd be on the race, and he'd be throwing that curveball fifty percent of the time, and he'd and he'd and he'd pitch in three three to four inning occurrences, like either before, after a follower, or in the middle of the game. Um, so uh, I, I do think that it helped his career, but it, it may it uh, ultimately it wasn't enough to to make it even bigger of a career, if if that makes any sense. By the way, I think uh, for the first question, did Eno yell Bach during Jake Cousins' motion with the rest of Oracle Park? Uh, no, only because Jake Cousins wasn't pitching for Arizona against Stanford you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago. So When I used to yell things yeah, like that. The, you're, you're in your post-heckling era. So, Also, I have to tell you, I've, I've, read, I, I've read the rule book. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I don't think I could uh, really explain the Balk rule. Like I, I'm just like yeah. I, I have two thoughts. Either there are crap ton more box than are ever called, or there are no box. So I don't I don't know which. It's one of those two. <laughs> but uh, I think every time a box is called, everyone's like, "What happened? Really? 
Yeah, what? was that? And then they what? they like, they slow it down and they zoom in. I'm like, that. like there's one that was like, a pitcher's hand like wiggled. Yeah, like, or what? like he like opened his thigh a little bit, and it's like, no, what? That was that was a balk. <laughs> I remember the balk got called recently. The guy come the, the the umpire comes running from third base, going like this. <laughs> <laughs> just moving his hands is that supposed down. to be the signal it's supposed yeah. to be like a like a milking a cow signal i don't know but then they then they like then his they hands did the, moved when he was supposed to be set. Yeah, yeah he was trying to say the hands moved but like when they when they yeah when they slowed it down it was like the hands moved like a half an inch and i was just like it, wow it wasn't anything that i False think would have messed with the hitter <laughs> well and I, I do feel like it's kind of like the old uh obscenity threshold test you know potter yeah. stewart yeah you know, i know, know it when see. i see but it no but I, I, I don't trust that i don't well, trust um, that. umpires that's how umpires apply it they know it when they see it when they call it i'm like nope sorry i, yeah. I think box are mostly ridiculous i think yeah i don't think that they uh mm, i think they could be cleaned up is another way of saying it like maybe more well defined and uh actually enforced i mean there's something weird about them that like here's this super technical kind of hard to understand part of baseball that never really gets called and then when it does get called it can be hugely important i think in this game it was like the ninth inning the guy went from second to third (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. what because he his hand jiggled a little it's, I, I think we're talking about the same play. I couldn't believe that was a call. It seemed totally ridiculous. Yeah, what was that? It was was it a dime? It was, like, it was like a week ago. It wasn't yeah. that long ago. I was just like, I don't. Okay, okay. If you say so, that's what I. That's that's my motto for box. If you say so. Yeah, I, can't, I can't really fight <laughs> like back if you're against gonna, them. If you're gonna tell me, I know exactly what a balk is. And they're called exactly right, and as much as they should be, I would say, if you say so. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, I think cleaning up the rule would probably be step one towards helping they everybody doing, understand it. They are doing some work in the space, I would say, uh, in that they are testing out um, new rules for lefties, the lefty pickoff move in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is uh, that's the most ridiculous. If you know what a Bach is, uh, tell me that you know exactly where that forty-five degree line is uh, to home plate between home plate and first base. That where the lefty can like hover in space over that and pretend he's going home, but not cross the forty-five degree line and throw it over to home. They're gonna try and get rid of that. Yeah, I, I think, think it's like any move home is 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 the beginning of the of the uh, of the delivery. I think most of Chris Capuano's pickoffs were box. Is, is he the one? The, there's some guys. He's an amazing pickoff move. Like the, the leg is just hovering in the air. Like, <laughs> yeah, worked to my benefit as a fan, but very skeptical that that really isn't a balk by most interpretations of the rules. Uh, we are going to go before we go. We got a special offer on subscription still running right now. 50% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Be sure to get in the door. We got playoff coverage coming up. Special reward for anybody listening this far into the podcast. Uh, uh, shoot me an email Ooh. to uh, be, to, to my name, eSaris at theathletic.com. Uh, and... Uh, in the subject, describe what you're seeing on YouTube, uh, and I will send you one. Very nice. Boom. 
all the incentive in the world to do that. But uh, 50% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you don't have one of those already on Twitter, he is at, you know, Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can always drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.